You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. During the pandemic, uh, one of the things that kind of happened a lot for people is that people started remodeling their houses because they're stuck in their house and people are like, well, we might as well get some work done on it. And so um, that has happened at my house. Uh, We are currently remodeling our master uh, master bathroom. And uh, whenever a uh, big house project comes along, people always ask me, oh, are you going to do any of the work yourself? Now, I consider myself a kind of handy person. Uh, I can fix some things around the house. I can, I can probably install some things. But when it comes to a major project like that, um, I do not consider myself uh, with the ability to do such, a, do such a thing. I could probably handle the demo. If you give me a sledgehammer, I could probably you know, uh, demolish some of my walls and the counters and stuff like that, maybe a little therapeutic right there. Um, but uh, for the rest of it, you know, I would not consider myself a drywall person. I can't install tile. Um, I can't claim to say that I can install a countertop or anything like that. That's nothing that, that I feel like I could do. I could say I could do it. And like, hey, you want to do my other? Yeah, you want to pay me for it? I'll do it. I'll watch a YouTube video or two and see if I can do it. But you probably wouldn't get your money's worth um, if I were to do it. Uh, We can claim all the titles we want. We can claim we can say we can say we can do something. But when it comes to actually doing it, can you really trust that person? I wouldn't trust me to do it. And we can say things about Jesus too, right? We're in this series called "What Do We Say About Christ?" What do you say about Christ? And we can say it, but the question is, can we trust him with it? And if we trust him with it, will it really affect our lives? And when we, we ask this question, who do, we, who do you say that I am? Something that we also have to ask is, well, who does Jesus say that he is? Right? Who does Jesus say that he is? And then do we agree with that? And he actually talks a lot about himself, which sounds bad, but he talks a lot about himself in the Bible. And famously in the book of John, the Gospel of John, he has these seven I am statements where he says, I am, and then he says something about himself. Now, the thing about these I am statements is that when he says I am, that would have immediately drawn the attention of his Jewish audience. They would have been like, whoa, whoa, what? What did he say? Because the use of the phrase I am indicates his divine nature because the I am is part of the name of God. Okay, uh, this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, when God reveals his holy divine name to Moses, who he's about to send to rescue the uh, Israelites from Egypt. So this is Exodus 3, 13 through 14. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. His name is I am. I am. I have been. I am. I will be. I am God, period. He doesn't need a name. He doesn't need to compete with all the other false gods with all those other names, Osiris or Zeus or whatever. Yeah, Zeus wasn't quite here yet in the history books yet. But um, he doesn't have to compete with that. He just simply is God. I am. The name is so holy that the Israelites and the Jewish people don't actually say his name. They, they replace it with Lord or Adonai. And now, now we, uh, in, in the church today, we have come to actually saying the name sort of in the English way, which is Yahweh. That's taking the Hebrew letters and turning them into English, uh, you know, English version. Uh, but 
the, so when Jesus says, I am, which is the, you know, the English way of translating that, um, I am, he's saying, I am God. Okay? That's the first thing he's saying with the I am statements. I am God. Okay? And then he says, I am and whatever it is. So he's saying, God is those things, and so am I, because we are one and the same. Okay, so we're going to look at these seven I am statements, and I wish we could go through all of them in depth, but we do not have time for that. We'd be here for weeks um, if we were to go into depth through all of them. Um, but we're going to go see who does Jesus say that he is, and then do we agree with that in our own lives? A little note about the Gospel of John. Um, it is the least history bookish of the, of the Gospels. It is not chronologically ordered, and so I'm not going to go in any particular chronological order there. It's, uh, John orders his gospel in more of a, a theme, uh, theme way, and so we're going to go in the order that God told me to put it in, and that's what we're doing, yeah. So we're going to start with John 10, and this is the famous Good Shepherd passage, okay? Jesus is the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd, he will say. And the thing about this passage is it's actually a two-for-one special because Jesus uses two I am statements in this one conversation. But I think these two that we're going to read about really kind of encompass the other ones and tell us a lot about who Jesus says he is. Okay? So the context of this conversation is that Jesus has just healed a blind man. He's given him his sight back, and he's told him to testify about it. And the man testifies to the Jewish authorities, the Pharisees, who, of course, were supposed to be taking care of the people, leading the people, shepherding the people during this time. But the Pharisees, in their jealousy over Jesus, in seeing Jesus do this miracle, basically kick the man out of the synagogue and reject him. Jesus later bumps into this man, and, tells him what, and the man tells him what happens, and Jesus says basically that he is the Messiah, and the man believes. And so what John is doing here in his gospel is he's juxtaposing Jesus next to the Pharisees. Jesus, who is the healer, the one who loves, the one who saves, against the Pharisees, the ones who have so far rejected, judged, and have been keeping people away from Jesus. And he's basically asking the question, who is going to be your shepherd? Okay, so this is what Jesus says. This is John chapter 10, verse 7 through 15. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Okay, this is the first one. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Then he switches to another metaphor. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. So our first I am statement is Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the gate. I am the gate that leads to salvation. I am the gate that leads to the kingdom. I am the gate that leads to God. Now, admittedly, when I was a kid, I would hear this and say, hear Jesus says, like, I am the gate or I am the door. And I would immediately kind of picture a, like, kid's show with, with like, a door like that. It's like, I'm the gate. I'm the door. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of freaky, right? And it's like, is that what Jesus is talking about? It's like, he's just like this animatronic door. Now picture that with a beard. Okay. 
No, yeah, don't picture that. It's gross. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who was wondering, that's from The Wiggles. Okay, the, the Wiggles TV show. So shout out to any Australian uh, people watching. Yeah, um, yeah. So you get a Wiggles reference. Say no Star Wars. You get Wiggles. Okay. Um, so that's I don't think quite what we want to think about. Okay. When Jesus says I am the gate, I like to think of it more as like he's a bouncer. Okay. Now not Jesus standing there in a nice suit with sunglasses and like a chain necklace. Okay. But Jesus standing at the opening of this sheepfold, guarding the entrance. Guard the entrance. No one can go in if they, uh, and they have to go through Jesus, okay? The only way to the kingdom is through Jesus. Jesus is the one and only gate. And he says that the thieves and the bandits won't lead to the kingdom. They won't lead to God. They won't lead to heaven. Their purpose is to kill and steal and destroy. The enemy wants to kill and steal and destroy. Now, most of us, hopefully none of us, are going to actually be physically killed by the enemy, but... What does he want to kill, steal, and destroy? Our faith, our connections, our relationships, our intimacy with God, our confidence. He is out to get those things. But in contrast, Jesus, his purpose, what does he say? He wants the sheep to find pasture. He wants to give them a place to eat, to rest, to find life. He says, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life and life abundant. Now, it's an interesting way to phrase it, right? Why not just say life abundant, right? Life is already included in that statement. But there's two parts, right? Because Jesus is both the gate and he's the shepherd. He's both. Jesus cares for life salvation and he cares for life right now. He wants life and life abundant. He is the gate and the shepherd. He's the way to salvation and the one who takes care of the sheep. Eternal life and life here. You can't separate the two. He is not just concerned about our lives after we die. He's concerned about our lives here right now. And his vision is life abundant, a life where we are spiritually fed, satisfied, and thriving. Jesus wants our salvation to actually define our life right now. They're one. It's unified. And he says this again in one of his other I am statements. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says this I am statement before he famously raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus proves his power extended not just to the future resurrection on the last day, but that indeed he had power over life right now. He could raise the dead right here right now, much to the surprise of everyone around him. Jesus basically says, I am not just the king of the end times and heaven. I am king right now. I am king over all points of time. I'm not just God of life, the God of life before death, nor am I the God of life just after death. I am the God of life, period. I am the resurrection and the life. He wants to give people the future life and the life abundant right now. He is the gate and the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. Will we say that Jesus is all of those things? All those things. Does he have power over our salvation? And does he have power over us right now? And are we going to give that to him? He says he is the good shepherd, right? He is the good shepherd. And what, is this, what characterizes the good shepherd? That he truly cares. That he truly cares for us right now. He is the one who lays his life down for us. 
He's the one who knows us and we know him. He wants life and life abundant for us. And isn't that the true love that we want? To know that God, our Savior, wants the best for us. In a previous sheep and shepherd metaphor uh, earlier in the, in the chapter, he says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. He loves us. There's a relationship. There's an intimacy here. We know the voice of God. Our souls know the voice of our Savior. And he knows us. He knows us, and he loves us. This is our good shepherd. You know, when Kathy comes home from work, um, you know, she announces that she's, she's home, and the kids usually come running, unless they're, like, watching their iPads and they're heavy into whatever they're watching. But they hear her voice, and they come running. Mommy's home. Mommy's home. We've been cooked up with Dad all day. Mommy's home. Let's go play. They know the voice. There's something comforting about that. Do we know the voice of Jesus in our life? Because when we do, we can recognize that, yes, Jesus, you are my good shepherd. You call me by name. He calls you by name. He knows you. You're his beloved. Instinctively, our souls recognize this. Even the hardest of hearts, even those furthest from Christ, somewhere deep down, they know the still voice of God. And their hearts long to be back in the warm embrace of Jesus. Jesus wants to give you salvation and abundant life. And he invites you into the sheepfold with a demonstration of love through the cross and resurrection and the promise of intimate relationship with God. And he tells this to his disciples when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Here's our next one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before going to the cross, which he already knew was going to happen very soon, he tells this promise to his disciples. And uh, he tells, you know, I'm going to go away for a little bit. And you won't have me. And understandably, they're pretty nervous about that. They're pretty nervous about not having Jesus with them. But he tells them to not let their hearts be troubled. Believe in God and him also. And he's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. And he says this to reassure him. And then he says, this is John chapter 14, 6 through 11. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen the Father, or whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. So Jesus speaks of this intimate nature between himself and God the Father. They are one. Jesus and the Father are in each other. This use of the preposition in denotes unity, intimacy, oneness. The way to God the Father is through Jesus. I am the way. Like the gate for the sheep, the way to the Father is only through Jesus. And he says, if you know me, you know the Father. When we know Jesus, we will know God. Now, there's two parts of knowledge, I think, here. 
Okay? We can know about Jesus, and we can know what he stood for. We can know what he did. We can know his character. And when we do that, we understand the character of God. We understand what God is all about, absolutely. But there's also the intimate relationship part here, too, that Jesus invites us into. When we know Jesus, when we have good, intimate relationship with Jesus, we have a relationship with God the Father. And he further continues. This is John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. So Jesus takes the next step here. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. We got that. And now I'm sending you the spirit. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. The Spirit has a connection with us. So when we connect the dots, you know that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, and the Spirit is in you. Therefore, we are one. We have relationship with Jesus. We have intimacy with the Father, oneness with the Holy Spirit. We have union with God. Can we say this about Jesus? Jesus makes this point to encourage his disciples, and I hope that encourages us this morning. Because this is a profound truth. This is a profound truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Okay? And, and obviously truth has many different facets. But right here, I think he's really talking about I am the truth. And when you know the truth, that you are in relationship with the creator of the universe, to be in relationship with the savior of mankind, that changes everything. That changes everything. You know, it's, it's always said that, you know, Jesus is the answer to all the questions, Right? Like in Sunday school, Jesus is always the answer. But I, I was driving one day, and I saw a, a, a bench, and you know, they have all these advertisements on, on benches, and a Christian group had taken out an ad there and put a big sign there, and it says, Jesus, the answer to all of your questions. And I'm driving, and I was just kind of in like a kind of cynical mood, and I'm like, well, Jesus isn't the answer to every single question, because right now the question on my mind is 1 o'clock, and I'm driving is, where do I get lunch? And Jesus, where can I get a spicy chicken sandwich? Um, yeah, and so I was like, well, Jesus isn't the answer to every question, okay? Yeah, like, not exactly. We can go to Jesus for questions like, Jesus, please show me the way to a Chick-fil-A, um, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I found a Popeye soon after that. Um, both are good. There, need, there does not need to be a war, guys. This is spicy chicken sandwiches can unite the world, okay? Let me just say. Um, but when we know the truth, when we know the truth, that we have a relationship with God. That answers so many of the big questions, right? The big questions. I think one of the big questions we have is, who am I? Why am I here? When we know that God is our Father, when God is our Heavenly Father, that says something about us. And then we have the truth about ourselves. And what is the truth? That you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High. And that changes everything, doesn't it? You and I we are lovingly created. We are cherished beyond measure. We have a forever spiritual family. And that should give us reassurance. Reassurance. And we need that. Can we say this about Jesus, that he is the truth? And we need that reassurance to know that our relationship is secure. My son Ethan is going through a, what I hope is a phase um, and what happens is that when he does something wrong or he misbehaves, you know, we have to, you know, discipline him and uh, usually hand out some sort of punishment. But when that happens, he says, it feels like you don't love me anymore. That breaks my heart. 
Because right now he can't separate the, the discipline from the love. And we have to reassure him. We're like, no, Ethan, buddy, our love for you never stops. I know it doesn't feel good right now, what you're going through. I get that. But our love for you never changes. And I think for us, we sometimes have that. God, do you still love me? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. God's love for you will never change. And that is a truth we must hold on to. You know, the world likes to think about truth in a sort of restrictive way. Okay, Like, oh, well, you have this truth. You have this absolute truth. Well, that puts you in a box, and you can't think any other way. But this truth is not restrictive. This truth is liberating. This truth frees us. Because this truth, when you know who you are, when you know who God is, that lets you become the person that you were meant to be freely. We have freedom in Christ because we have this truth. My daughter Addie has just started uh, in-person preschool again. We felt like it was safe enough to send her back to in-person preschool. All, all the kids mostly <laughs> wear their masks. Um, but we felt it was safe. And if you, you guys know, you guys know Addie, okay? Addie is this crazy little girl who uh, is just off the wall. She has this wicked sense of humor, like perfect, like natural comedic timing. And she's just this little ball of energy. And she's just like truly free. And you'll, you'll see her dancing around. And she's, she's a joy to have around. But in school, she's shy. She's super shy. And the reason is, is because she's the new kid. She's only been in school for two weeks. But these kids, some of them have been there for a much longer time. Their parents had already sent them back, and they've had a chance to create their friends groups and get to know the teacher, and they're comfortable. But she's the new kid. She has to break into this new community. She doesn't know her relationship with them. She doesn't know her relationship with the teacher. She's still discovering that and finding that out. And so she's shy. And I told her, like, Addie, you can beat your silly self at school. Like, no, I don't want to. And I know it'll come, but that's going to have to come through time. But for us... We can have that comfort already with Jesus. We can have that comfort, that reassurance to know that our Heavenly Father loves us no matter what. And we are free to become the people that Jesus has called us to be. When we can say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we know we belong. That's the truth. We know we're in communion with the Father. That is the truth. We know we are free to be the person that God has called us to be. That is the truth. We can be our true selves. We know that Jesus is enough. We know that this, this truth that he's given us is enough. This reality that he's given us is enough. Jesus can truly satisfy us. We can be filled and fulfilled in Christ. We discover that Jesus truly is all we need. And as he says, as he's going to tell a crowd in our next passage, that he is the bread of life. Now, this is one of my favorite ones because um, when, when he's talking about the bread of life, what has happened before this is he's just the day before fed the 5,000, right? He multiplies the fish and the bread and he feeds the 5,000 crowd. They're amazed. And now they want to make him their king because well, he's fed them and they want to make him their like political king. But Jesus doesn't want to be their political king. He wants nothing to do with that. And he actually flees from them. Okay? He flees uh, and he walks across the water, as Jesus does. And you know, he goes to the other side of the sea. And the next morning they go into the boats and they follow him and they corner him. And again, they want to make him their king. And they say this to them, or say this to him, John 6, 30 through 40. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then, so that we may, we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Kind of hinting, hey, Jesus, you got more of that multiplied bread? We want some more. We're hungry. 
Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, in which come, uh, that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. For they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said, to you, but I said that to you, uh, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on that last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, and all who see the Son and believe in, in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and never be thirsty. You will find satisfaction. Now, this may have been disappointing to some of them, because keep in mind that many of them probably were poor, and many of them probably were very hungry. If I had been in that crowd, I would have been probably disappointed because I am often very hungry, which is why when we have tacos as a church, I usually eat 10 to 12 tacos. Um, <clears throat> but not that Jesus doesn't care. Not that Jesus does not care about our hunger. Okay? He tells us to take care of the poor in many other passages, and that's all throughout the Bible. But what he's referring to at this time is eternal food, the bread of life, soul food, right? Not soul food, not what, not what Ken is going to be cooking at the next men's meeting, guys, okay? And by the way, guys, Ken is cooking at the next men's meeting, so come out. Do we need to say anything more than that? He's cooking, okay? It's going to be at his house. It's going to be delicious, okay? Come out. Um, but not, not soul food, but soul food, right? Food for our soul. Isn't that funny? I don't know. Okay. Um, they were talking about just here and now, right? They were talking about the, the God, he, he gave us manna from heaven, right? In the wilderness, remember that, Jesus? The, the manna came down from heaven. We gathered it for a day, and we ate for a day, and then it was gone. And then we gathered it again the next day. But all those Israelites actually died in the wilderness. None of them made it to the promised land. It was the next generation that made it because of their sin, because of their disobedience. They're talking about just the temporal food. And guys, there are so, there's so many temporal things that we try to find satisfaction in, right? So many things that say they'll bring us satisfaction in life, fulfillment in life, but they ultimately let us down. Money, romantic love, jobs, status. You can strive your whole life for all of those things. You can strive after all those things. You can work yourself to the bone for all those things. But ultimately, they will disappoint, and they will let you down. They will let you down. But Jesus, Jesus is the bread of life. In him, we find everything we need. Everything we've already talked about, that's everything we need. Jesus is the most complete, delicious, all-encompassing bread of life. Now, you wouldn't tell it from last week from the little itty-bitty wafers that we ate, okay? That, that was definitely not the most delicious bread ever. That was honestly kind of disappointing. Um, <laughs> I am going to lobby for Hawaiian bread next time. Really, I am. Um, but Jesus, you know, get away from that imagery. But Jesus is the most delicious bread that we can have. He's the most satisfying bread. Indeed, Jesus points out to us. And it starts, I think, with, again, that truth, that knowledge. And he emphasizes this again, 
that he, we will never be rejected. We will never be rejected. He says, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. The good shepherd does not reject any of our sheep. And we need to know that. We need to know that we will never been rejected. How many of you have ever been rejected? Maybe it's been a, a, a job or maybe a date. Okay? I um, have been rejected uh, plenty of times. I, in high school, I probably asked out 9, 10, 12, I don't know, uh, girls. Um, I, I did go to a few dances with some girls, but um, all those other times I was rejected. Um, there was one time I, in, I, we were all sitting in class and um, we were like doing some silent reading time and two girls were talking during this time uh, and I was not interested in any of these girls, but uh, they were talking and they were going around the room and what they were doing is they were raiding the guys in the room. <laughs> okay, like, what, what do you think of Adam over there? Oh, he's a seven out of 10. What do you think of Joe over there? He's like a six. What do you think of, of, of uh, Jay over there? He's, he's 10. He's hot. What do you think of Brett? My ears kind of perk up. They don't know I'm listening to them. He's a 2 out of 10. I'm like, oh, a 2 out of 10. I just got rejected, and I wasn't even going after any one of you. I, 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 I could have thought I, I thought I would at least make I'm pi, like 3.14, and the numbers keep going on and on. I get a little bit better as time goes on. You, yeah, that's why I'm a 2, because I make jokes like that. Um, right? That hurt. Uh, no, no, no that, that is clearly not true. That's clearly not true. I'm not like, you know, Brad Pitt or George Clooney. Let, let's face it. Um, let's call a spade a spade here, right? You know, no voice cracks. You know, that's the, that's the thing. But anyways, no one likes getting rejected, right? It hurts. No one likes getting rejected. But sometimes I think we're afraid that Jesus is going to reject us. We're afraid that Jesus is going to say, no. Your sinfulness, your past, your mistakes, I can't accept you anymore. But that's not true. That is not true. Jesus says if we earnestly seek him out, he will not reject us. And that's reassurance that we need. His whole goal, he says, is to raise us up on that last day. Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for us, the sheep. He will not reject you. If he laid down his life for you, which he did, that means that you are worth it. You are worth it. His love for you outweighed the cost of the sacrifice. His promises that we can be with him now and in the future is what our souls have always hungered for. If the crucifixion and resurrection are true, it means that God's love really is true and that we are truly loved. In Jesus, the bread of life, we have our salvation. He is the gate. He is the resurrection. We have intimate relationship with God. He is the way. He, we have destiny and purpose and a blueprint for life, the promise of life abundant. We have the Holy Spirit, relationship with God always. God equips us with everything we need in life. He is the bread of life. He is satisfying. He reassures us. He gives us confidence. And being able to say that Jesus is all those things is crucial. It's crucial. It sets the stage for what comes next. We need this confidence, this truth, this trust, this relationship, because the good shepherd, as he says, wants to bring us to pastures and abundant life. But that journey can be difficult. That journey can have bumps in the road. That journey can have obstacles. And he puts it like this. 
He says, John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But how many of you know that when we walk from darkness to light, that can be difficult. Now he says this during the Feast of the Tabernacles. He says this during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and part of the Feast of the Tabernacles is that there is the festival of the lamp lighting. And this is when uh, the Jewish people would celebrate the light of God in their life. You know, the light of, the, of, of God being, the, being their salvation, being, uh, being their God. And they would remember the imagery of the uh, pillar of fire that God was inhabiting when he was leading them through the wilderness when he was taking them to the promised land. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and they're remembering all these things, that's pretty head-turning, right? Because it's like, well, wait a minute, we were following Jesus, or I mean, following God, hey, God the Father, and now, Jesus, you're saying that you are the light of the world. Hey, again, he's saying, I'm God, and I'm going to lead you out of the darkness. First Peter 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The good shepherd leads us. The Israelites followed the pillar of fire of God out of the wilderness and into the promised land. We follow Jesus out of the darkness of our lives into the marvelous light and into peace, into the life that he's called us to. Now, going from darkness to light, this is more than just saying, just stop sinning. This is more than that. I think too often what gets communicated to us, maybe with the best intention, is just do it. Just stop, right? Just get over it. Just get better. Just change your behavior. Just stop sinning. If only it were that easy. If only it were that easy, right? Because I want to bear fruit. I want to grow into that. I want that abundant life. Just make it happen, right? I'm ready for it. Let's do it. But no, no. The truth of the matter is there is actually work to be done. There's actually transformation that has to be done. And many of us have obstacles in our own life. We are often held back by the things that bog us down, the lies of the enemy, our fears, mistakes that we've made, patterns we've fallen into, hurts that have been done to us, unhealthy pleasures we can't seem to let go of. There are things in this life that often feel like they are holding us back, that are handcuffing us, that are shackling us down, and we can't get to that abundant life that the Good Shepherd is calling us to. I often think of when uh, I'm driving somewhere with my kids, and we, we, we park, and they're in their car seats, and I'm like, all right, guys, let's go, let's go. And I expect them to just hop out of their seats and just come right then, but they can't because they're in their seatbelts, and they're not strong enough to take off their seatbelts. And we're like, Dad, we, we want to go, but we can't. You have to actually physically come back here and undo this giant red button so that we can get out of our seats. And a lot of times that's like us. Like, we want to go. Let's go. Let's go. But oh, we can't get out of the seatbelts. I'm not saying seatbelts are bad. Seatbelts are very good. But we have to know that there are things that are holding us down. But Jesus wants to work through those things. But here's the truth, guys. We're not meant to do it on our own. We're human. We're frail. We're so easily falling into temptation. The moment we think we found a way out by taking control and doing it our own way, by putting a band-aid over whatever wound we have. We end up hurting someone else, our relationships take a hit, our egos get bruised, and our discouragement sets in. But this is where we must remember that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. We have to put our focus back on Jesus to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We couldn't get back to the Father ourselves, but he made the way. 
We are constantly searching in this world for something to satisfy, and we will grab after every little shiny object that comes, but he is the bread of life. We are the sheep who fall prey to the robbers and thieves and wolves all the time, but he is the good shepherd who has promised us life in abundance. And part of that life is freedom from all those things that hold us back. Our souls long for that unity with Jesus that we might grasp onto him. And indeed, Jesus' entire purpose, this is the truth, is to bring us into that place. But we must have that revelation. We must have that truth that is all about him. And we need to stick close to him. We have to be in a relationship with him. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. There's a connection to be made. And Jesus put it flat out for us. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Branches will die if they get disconnected from the vine. In order to grow, in order to get that, to get the nutrients from the water, from the dirt, from photosynthesis, all of that, the vines have to be connected, the, the, the branches have to be connected to the vine. We draw life, we draw energy, we draw empowerment from the vine. It brings us intimacy with God. Jesus draws us into this loving relationship where he sustains us and heals us and renews us. If we want to find healing, that recovery, that restoration, if we want to bear fruit and grow into the things that God has called us into, we have to abide with Christ. Abide with him. Now, abiding can be translated as remain or stay with Jesus, but I love one reading where it says persist. Persist with Christ. Persist in your relationship with Christ. There's an active thing that we have to do too. We need to be striving after our relationship with Jesus every single moment of our life. Abiding is not just, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm hanging out. Abiding is, I'm going after this relationship. I'm investing into this relationship. But again, we can get tired. We can get distracted. We can get discouraged, right? That can happen. And we sometimes neglect our relationship with Jesus. But here's the great thing. Jesus says this, abide in me as I abide in you. Jesus is putting effort into the relationship too. He is chasing after us. He is persisting in his relationship with you. So when you feel like you can't do it, he's still strong. He is still going after you. He is still pursuing you. God's love for you does not give up. Now, if we go back to that little passage I read, uh, it did say that Jesus, Jesus does say that those branches that do not bear fruit will be removed. Okay? But, but, but I thought Jesus won't reject us. True, right? When we look kind of deeply into this surface level contradiction here, we have to understand that when someone is in Christ, when someone is abiding, when someone is in good relationship with Jesus, we will see transformation. This will happen. It comes because God is the one who's powering it. And what God has set in motion, he will not stop. It will still happen. You may feel right at this moment, and I've often felt this too, but you may feel at this moment that I am not bearing fruit. I am not seeing any growth right now. Be patient. Persist in your relationship with Jesus. It's going to happen. Jesus guarantees it. It's going to happen. 
You do not need to worry about being separated from Jesus. He's not going to let you go. Sometimes it does take time. It does take energy. And sometimes it takes a little bit of pain. It takes a little bit of going through it, taking our lumps. What does Jesus tell us? There is a pruning process and a cleansing process, right? In fact, Jesus tells the disciples, you've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. This is a package deal. When we have a relationship with Jesus, you receive salvation through grace and faith, but what comes along with it? Fruit bearing. Okay? You don't need to be worried about being thrown away, but Jesus says, abide in me and I abide in you. He's determined to keep that going. But in that process, there will be probably some pain. Because when that word that he says has cleansed the disciples' heart, when that has cleansed our heart, when that hits our heart, that can hurt because it forces us to confront our darkness. It forces us to confront our past. It forces us to confront who we actually are. It can be painful. Matthew, the text collector, when he met Jesus, he had to leave his entire life behind to follow Jesus. Peter, when he messed up, Jesus flat out called him Satan. That's got to hurt. <laughs> Paul got knocked off his donkey and was blinded and was told how wrong he was. There's a pruning process. There's a cleansing process. Shepherding sometimes can be a little painful. Moving from darkness to light means we have to confront the darkness. And, you know, when you go from a dark room, you know, like you're, you're, you wake up in the middle of the night, it's all dark, and you turn on the light, oh, wow, that hurts, right? That hurts. When we have to confront our darkness, that can be painful. Sometimes it means we have to make hard choices. It means choosing to forgive. And that sometimes hurts. Finding healing, abandoning old ways of thinking, changing cultural habits, working our relationships, turning the other cheek. That can be scary. But the good shepherd who loved us enough to lay down his life for us, and that sounds pretty painful too, right? He will never abandon us. He won't let us go through it alone. He will handle our darkness with us. It is the power of the resurrection, Jesus, our good shepherd, that empowers us to even start to confront this. Jesus' power is not just forgiving our sins. It is the empowering truth that our sins are dealt with and destroyed so that we might walk free of them in this life right now. It means that the power and the struggle are beaten so that we can walk in victory today. It transforms stumbling into an opportunity for Jesus to shine. It transforms what seems to be a mountain into a small hurdle. It transforms guilt and shame into hope and encouragement. Jesus declares that sin in our life is dead so that we may rise anew in the resurrection and right now. He's beaten our sin. If we have him, we will be victorious in the end and we can live that victory starting right now. So that false identity that you've had thrust upon you or the shame that you live with, Oh, you're a sinner. You're ugly. You're unworthy. You're impure. You're a failure. Jesus shows us that that is not true. And that because you have a relationship with God the Father, you are now a beloved son or cherished daughter. Are you going through loneliness? You can have confidence that Jesus wants to know you and knows you right now more deeply than any person ever could because he wants a relationship with you. He is the vine and he wants to abide with you. Our habits that are keeping us in sin and our negative relationship cycles, our toxic relationships, that doesn't sound like the abundant life, but the good shepherd wants to break those and move us into freedom and healthy relationships. If you feel like you constantly have to strive after money and jobs and status, 
Jesus wants to transform you and let you know that he is the bread of life and he will satisfy. If you are living with unforgiveness and your relationships are in tatters or you're constantly offended, he wants to give you peace and humility because Jesus loved us and died enough for us because he is the resurrection. Despite all of our imperfections, he died for us. If you feel like your life is stuck and you're constantly in the dark and you'll never be able to overcome it, he wants to let you know that your sin is dead. He's already beaten it. You are alive, and he wants to bring you from light or from darkness to light. We are, we are no longer dead in our sin, but we are alive in Christ, made to bear fruit for our kingdom. He wants growth in ourselves, in our character. He wants to reconcile our relationships. He wants to heal our emotional trauma. He wants to replace our old identities with, new, with a new one. And he wants us to be able to proclaim him the gospel, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life. This is the fruit that Jesus, the true vine, wants for us. Yes, we must be prepared for some cleansing, for some pruning. It's going to hurt a little bit. Repentance is never fun. But he wants that life for us, life and life abundant. Can we say that Jesus is all he claims to be? I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. Can we acknowledge that this morning? John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus. He was in the beginning. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in, his, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. I want to close today by doing something that will feel maybe a little bit odd for us because we don't do this very often in our church, but I want to read some scripture together. I want to read some scripture together. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me, we're going to read and recite Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I think we all know it. But let's read it together as a prophetic act to declare that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he wants this life for us. Okay, this is Psalm 23, 1 through 6. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, you are so magnificent, and you say so much about yourself in the book of John, in your Gospels. And God, we want to believe those things. We want them to be true in our life. May they be true for us today. May we remember the truth that you've given us. You are all the things you claim to be. Thank you, God, for loving us so well. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. Um, 
we wanted to extend our ministry time for last week. We really felt like there was a breakthrough for a lot of people in ministry. And so um, if the Lord has touched you today, if there's something you need prayer for, um, if there's a breakthrough you're looking for, then we want to pray for you. We want to walk with you through this. You know, God, Jesus is our good shepherd, right? But we are also called to shepherd each other, to help each other grow. And so he's given us the church for that very purpose. And so I'm going to ask for some of our leaders uh, to come up and be available for prayer. And so if you need prayer this morning, please, please, please take advantage of that and come up. We would love to absolutely pray for you. Um, but if not, uh, you, uh, that's, that's it for today. Uh, we love you guys. Go in peace. And yeah, we pray for your continued safety and health. And we will, uh, we will see you next week.